Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Tuesday evening where we are set to continue our exploration of the book of Genesis, and we are going to be knee-deep in the book of Genesis this evening. If we are going to wrap up this chapter, chapter 37, that will continue to have us reflecting into the narrative, the early narrative that surrounds the, the life of Joseph and and that conspiracy, right, against Joseph by his resentful older brothers. We were talking about that resentment yesterday, huh? Now, as we will get into these verses, what we will discover is the significance of Reuben and Judah. You know, we often talk about these 11 uh, older brothers who just want to kill him, but in fact, we have to take stock of two particular brothers, that is Reuben and Judah, who go out of their way to make sure that he doesn't die. It's interesting. In the stories told about Joseph, we just often talk about the 11 older brothers. And we do forget about Reuben and Judah. And what these verses this evening will disclose for us is that uh, they had a wherewithal <laughs> that you are your brother's keeper. Now, among other things, I am going to talk about that all important phrase that we hear from the lips of Joseph Here I am. Huh? Here I am, this phrase of disposal. Now, speaking of disposal, before we get into the verses, I did get the question, hey Joe, it seems like God likes to pick younger figures to act as mediators on his behalf, and certainly he picks his fair share of younger ones to, yeah, work on his behalf, to mediate on his behalf. Just not young ones, but if we were to find a golden thread, of all the great mediators in the Old Testament, and also the New Testament, we should add, they are shepherds, right? So some are young for sure, just not Joseph, but also uh, David. I think Amos was also a young shepherd, prophet, and there are many others. But shepherd, I think, is the, the golden thread. Now, as the question was asked of me, why does he choose uh, younger ones? Well, many of your friends what does Jesus himself say? When asked, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, he calls over the child. And why? Well, because the child says, here I am. The child is disposed. The child is made ready. The child clings to the father. The child isn't caught up in all of this pride he has to protect. No, he is simple. He is humble. He is ready. So that is why the little one is chosen. It's interesting, if you were to take this question and put it into the context of last 2,000 years, when God appears to someone to send a message to a particular people, it is often little ones, right? Of course, Juan Diego, uh, Bernadette, the children at Fatima, all of them were younger, and you can go on and on and on. God appears to the younger ones so as to send all of us a message be little. <laughs> Be little. Be ready to surrender like my son Jesus surrendered himself on the cross with arms outstretched. And isn't that the image 
of the little one. Having four little ones myself, I know what that disposition of a little one looks like. With arms outstretched, they, my children, are ready for me to pick them up. So, uh, important question and hopefully um, an answer that, that resonates with you. All right, with that, let us turn to our Bibles, chapter 37. And I'm going to be a bit ambitious tonight and read verses 12 to 36, okay? Because really, there's no way to stop in between. I know from time to time, I might get, I might get through five verses or, or nine verses, or yesterday it was 11 verses. Here we have approximately 25 verses to get through, so, so let's have at it. Chapter 37, verses 12 to 36. Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, Here I am. So he said to him, Go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring me word again. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a man found him wandering in the fields. And the man asked him, What are you seeking? I am seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, I beg you, where they are pasturing the flock. And the man said, They have gone away, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. They saw him afar off, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, Here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we shall say that a wild beast has devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he delivered out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, cast him into this pit here in the wilderness, but lay no hand upon him, that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the long robe with sleeves that he wore, and they took him and cast him into a pit. The pit was empty, there was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat, and looking upon they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers heeded him. Then Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit, and lifted him out of the pit, and sold him to the Ishmaelites for twenty shekels of silver, and they took Joseph to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, The lad is gone, and I, where shall I go? Then they took Joseph's robe and killed a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. And they sent the long robe with sleeves and brought it to their father and said, This we have found. See now whether it is your son's robe or not. And he recognized it and said, It is my son's robe. A wild beast has devoured him. Joseph is without a doubt torn to pieces. 
Then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth upon his loins and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him. But he refused to be comforted and said, No, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. Okay, as always, so many verses here to discuss. Off the top, uh, first thing, like I said, is this language of Joseph. So his brothers go out. They're out pasturing their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel, right, Jacob, so he's no longer Jacob, he's now Israel, calls out to Joseph. And he asks Joseph the question, are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? So Israel wants his son to be with the other brothers. Maybe he missed that somewhere <laughs> that the other 11 were not okay with, with those dreams that he had. And what is his response to those words? Come, I will send you to them. But here I am. Here I am. And, and I want to dwell with this verse, because it is so important in the Old Testament. Brothers and sisters in Christ, there is a powerful word in the Hebrew that sums up three words in English, and that word is haneni, haneni, which simply means, here I am. It is a way, my friends, of expressing total readiness to give oneself. It's an offer of total availability. Haneni is the essence, if you will, of what Jesus kickstarts the whole Sermon on the Mount with. That phrase, blessed are the poor in spirit. Because you see, my friends, it's not about virtue in that opening beatitude in as much as it is about a state of being. Blessed are those who long for God the same way our lungs long for air. That's the permanent disposition of readiness here that we are talking about. Here I am, Haneni. When God approached Abraham to ask him to offer his only son as a sacrifice, Abraham responded, what but Haneni. When God called out to Moses from the burning bush, Moses replied with what but Haneni. God calls out to the young boy, another boy, Samuel, three times before Samuel finally responded with Haneni. I'm listening. Here I am, Lord. I'm listening. Many hundreds of years later, when God asked who would go for him in Isaiah chapter 6, the prophet willingly stands up with the cry of Hanani. Here I am. This disposition of readiness, this disposition of being prepared to go forth. Send me, O Lord, Isaiah says. And of course, here in our text, Joseph responds to his father's call with Hanani, this phrase which speaks to full, available, and ready to pay attention, or ready to obey instructions. Recall that all-important verse that comes to us from Romans chapter 1, verse 5. We also see it at the end of the book, right? Paul has bookended his epistle to Rome with the phrase, the obedience of faith. You translate that Greek and it translates the Hebrew firm response, responsive listening. At its core, my friends, it translates the Hanani. 
You know, to talk about the obedience of faith is to understand that the word obedience best translates as to listen well. To listen well, and as we've talked about before, this is always in contrast with what is absurd, because the Latin for absurd, absurdus, is out of tune, or to listen poorly. So to be obedient is to listen well. To be absurd is to listen poorly. One who is obedient says, here I am. One who is disobedient is out of tune, out of touch, and turns the other way. You could say that the Hebrew here is a little bit like turning up and reporting for duty. Okay? Uh, some translations include a behold in the here I am or here am I, emphasizing that they are present and ready for action. You see, this language is the appropriate way to respond to God whenever he calls. And as you have heard it said before, his wish should always be our command, right? What's more, and we shouldn't overlook this, is that God often says it of himself when announcing what he is going to do. I mean, think about this for a second. Often there are very gracious acts that cost God dearly from man's vantage point. Interestingly, the very first one we see in the Old Testament is the bringing of the flood. I mean, we cannot imagine how much that must have hurt God. But what does God say? Hanani. Hanani, when he is announcing a covenant he will make, the brunt of which, of course, he would always end up bearing. When alongside of the aforementioned verses, Hanani appears many times in the prophetic writings, many times, and often is translated as, behold, here I am doing this thing. Okay, so the Hanani can also mean, behold, watch me be God. Right? Should we not say, here I am, ready to do whatever thing you want me to do? My dear friends, God is our ever-present help. What does David say in Psalm chapter 46? What can I do for you? What can I do for you? Now, for you and I, that, that might seem ridiculous, that God actually makes himself available to us. But has he not already shown that he is ready to pay the highest cost, even the life of his only son? He invites us to share our requests and needs with him, and always, always listening to his desire. Hanani, here I am. The great I am stoops to assure us. He hears us. He sees us. He he knows our struggle, and He is always there. He promises to listen to our prayers and to answer according to His will. This, my friends, is always the very best and perfect decision ever to be made. Incidentally, my friends, as we just kind of wrap up this brief excursion on Joseph's here I am, <laughs> there is a verse buried in the, the saga between David and Jonathan in which Jonathan promises his beleaguered best friend, and I think it is what, 1 Samuel chapter 22, 3 or 4, somewhere in there, where he says, tell me what your soul desires, and I will do it for you. Tell me what your soul desires, and I will do it for you. I think that's the definition of love itself, 
to will the good of the other or to say, tell me what your soul desires and I will do it for you. I wonder, do we take up that question with God? What is on your heart, Lord? Ooh, that's a provocative question. What is on your heart, Lord? What do you desire? You've heard me say that the whole of the spiritual life, the summa of the spiritual life is that we desire God as much as God desires us. And that starts, the walk in that spiritual life starts with that question. What is on your heart, Lord? What do you desire? And I will do whatever you ask. Yeah, we say to ourselves, man, that is a dangerous conversation to have with God. But it is always totally worth it. God has already shown, again, his great willingness, his great devotion, his great availability to us as he perfectly demonstrated it on the cross. He is permanently and unconditionally listening and responding to our call and our requests from him. This calls for our own love, our own devotion, our own availability, our own willingness, our own Hanani, here I am, Lord. So we drive that point home as we move forward in this narrative. So let us move forward in this narrative. Verse 14. So he said to him, Go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring me word again. I've got to imagine Joseph there is thinking to himself, Well with my brothers, well with your sons. Come on, Dad, didn't you see what just went down? <laughs> right? So we sent him. He sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And in verse 15, isn't this interesting? We read, and a man found him wandering in the fields. And the man asked him, What are you seeking? Who is this mysterious stranger, my friends? Maybe the angel that came to visit Abraham in chapter 18, or that heavenly figure, that nameless angel that battled it out, wrestled it out with Jacob. Maybe, maybe this is his son Joseph, huh? How about those words? What are you seeking? Where do you see that question? How about when our Lord was born, where the angel appeared again? So you, this man, we've got to believe, is an angel. I am seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, I beg you, where they are pasturing the flock. And the man said, they have gone away, for I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. And here we have the all-important verse. They saw him from afar off. And before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. And they said, here comes this dreamer. So they see him from a distance. And do they run to him like the prodigal father? No. No. They see him from a distance and they conspire to kill him. They conspire to murder him. This dreamer, don't tell me about your dreams. Don't tell me about how God is going to work in your life and in the world. Don't tell me about that. All I care about is what I want, what I desire. The me, myself, and I. Don't tell me about you. Tell me about me. Oh, I think we've all been there. Verse 20, come now. Let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. 
Then we shall say that a wild beast has devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. I mean, man. Sometimes, my friends, we read the Old Testament, and we say, well, ah, that's the Old Testament. Life isn't like that anymore. Oh, that's hogwash, my friends. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's hogwash. I think we've been there. The crime rates, the murder rates, the suicide rates, all of them are up, way up, skyrocketing up. And I could tell you what precedes all of that is this kind of bitterness. This is why I have been harping, harping on those two spiritual works of mercy, bearing offenses patiently and forgiving willingly. So important. All right, we go on, verse 21. But when Reuben, and take note, please, my friends, the importance of this. But when Reuben heard it, he delivered him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. Let us not take his life. And he's the elder here. I've got to believe that's significant, right? The oldest brother sees what the younger lads are doing and says, Enough is enough. It's really interesting. I have four kids, and my oldest is 12, soon to be 13. And I have seen him from time to time look upon his three younger siblings and say, what are you guys doing? This is just silly. Enough is enough. There's something about the elder that will just see things differently. And I think that's, that's, that's some of what's going on here with Reuben. Enough is enough. Shed no blood. Cast him into this pit here in the wilderness, but lay no hand upon him that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the long robe with sleeves that he wore, and they took him and cast him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. What does that sound like? Does this not have the echoes of the cross in Calvary where he was stripped of his clothes, where he was taken to a place of emptiness? Did not Jesus Christ go into the pit? We read in verse 24, there was no water in it. Jesus didn't have any water, right? He was there thirsting. We definitely have some language here, just not here, but also in some of these later verses that, again, echo, or maybe better said, anticipate Calvary. Verse 25, then they sat down to eat, and looking upon, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum balm and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Uh, by the way, the Midianite traders, the Ishmaelites, these are tribal groups descended from Abraham, but outside the elect line of Isaac. Make note of that, outside the line, because that will be significant later. Okay, verse 26, then Judah said to his brothers, and here we have Judah stepping forward, maybe thinking about that question that emerged between Cain and Abel, am I my brother's keeper? <laughs> Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers heeded him. So maybe some of us are saying, well, you know, Joe, both Reuben and Judah, while they saved him, they did not return him to their father, per se. And yeah, I get that. That's true. But nonetheless, they are at least somewhat aware 
their conscience is somewhat uh, alive to recognize the gravity of what they were about to do. And then we read, verse 28, Then the Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver, and they took Joseph to Egypt. 20 shekels of silver. The price for a slave was what? But 30 silver pieces. That's significant for obvious reasons, 30 pieces of silver. Again, anytime you have an exchange like this, silver for another man, how can you not think of Christ? Verse 29, when Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, the lad is gone and I, where shall I go? Now this is interesting. Uh, when Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and returned to his brothers. To tear your clothes in antiquity was a sign of distress and great sorrow. Okay, so here it appears that Reuben is grieving. And this is probably why we read, And I, where shall I go? Did we not read that later, just verses later, Jacob himself is grieving greatly? They don't know what happened. They don't know that his brother was sold for 20 shekel pieces of silver. My dear friends, it would be so easy for us to just look at a text like this, a text that we are all familiar with, and just kind of gloss over it, maybe drawing a few key points here or there. But to spend time with the text, to get underneath the text, is maybe, just maybe, to discover something new. Here for you this evening, I would suggest a few things. First of all, place an emphasis on what we talked about on the Hanani, the here I am. And also, I would encourage you to consider the relevance of Reuben and Judah stepping forward. Okay, maybe they didn't bring him back to his father, but they did not partake in the murderous intentions. They looked at that all-important question, am I my brother's keeper? And they said, yeah, I have to reckon myself with that. And what I would suggest to you this evening is to reckon yourself with that. And by that I mean challenge yourself with that question, am I my brother's keeper? Am I my brother's keeper? Now there's so much more to be said on this narrative that surrounds Joseph, and as there is, Stay tuned, because we have 13 more chapters to talk about this. All right, let us close with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.